Colossians chapter 3, starting with verse 18. This is not an easy verse to start off with because it's so misunderstood at times, right? Guys are like, I love this verse. It helps me so much get things done in life or something like that. But uh, we'll, we'll look at that in just a second. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service, as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. There is no partiality. And then verse 1, Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for this time this evening to gather. We thank you for the weather, a beautiful night to gather. We thank you for bringing us here safely. Any of those that are on their way, Lord, bring them here safely as well. We pray your blessing tonight, the children's ministry over the modulars, the uh, teens that are downstairs gathering, Lord. We pray that you would just minister uh, your word in all three settings, in this sanctuary, but in, in the other places on the property tonight. We pray that you, even now, Lord, would remove any distractions. Uh, Lord, fill this place with the presence of your Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would minister what each person needs. We thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for the written word that we can study. And Lord, may it truly change and transform us more and more into the image of Jesus. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, sin broke up the very first family. We'd all agree with that, right? Sin did a lot of damage. If you ever think Man, I've seen families really messed up. You don't have to go far from the dawn of creation to see that that started really early. Sin really broke up, messed up the very first family, even brought division among two brothers, brought death, all right in a family. You didn't have to have many people. You didn't have to have a whole nation. You didn't have to have all kinds of factions and political divisions and ethnicities and languages. One family... Sin did all that damage. One family. But by the work of Christ, here we are. Later, we're the family of God. Six, seven thousand years after that, two thousand years after Jesus has come. In, in similar time frame of Paul writing here in Colossians. But here we are, the family of God. And by the work of Christ, God desires, it's certainly his heart, to bring unity and harmony. You know, we just had the worship team up here, and those of you that like music, you're probably glad I don't serve on the worship team, because I would not contribute to harmony. I contribute something, but, uh, but harmony is, is something in, in the music realm, uh, you want to know, each person has to know the note they're supposed to be singing on. You tell me what F is, I have no clue what that is. That's an aisle in Walmart, as far as I'm concerned, or something like that. But harmony and unity... It matters in an orchestra. It matters in music. But God wants there to be harmony and unity in a marriage, in the home and family, and everywhere we interact with people. Now, we can't force people to be unified with us. We can't force people to be in harmony with us. But we still can do our part as much as it depends upon us, right? Be at peace with all men, the scriptures say. So Paul continues here in the close of chapter 3. You got to go, you know, if you understand in the Bible, you've got this 20-20 rule for studying. You ever heard that term? Read 20 verses above, read 20 verses uh, after that, and you'll usually, that's not a hard, fast rule, but kind of like a proverb, if you will. It's generally true that if you read 20 verses above, there's not always 20 verses, and there's some small chapters in the Bible too, but uh, 20 above, 20 below, you're usually going to understand the context. And Paul he continues here in chapter 3 with God's desire for our hearts in relationship particularly, but not exclusively, 
particularly as it relates to inside the church family, inside the body of Christ, believer to believer. But not just that, if you extend the, the circle out a little bit, in the families as a whole, because you're going to have sometimes in the home an unbelieving spouse, unbelieving children, there's all those. You have interactive relationships where uh, your boss is not a believer, so there's other relationships. But, but he's speaking to believers here. What is our role as believers in doing what God would have us do to establish strong relationships? I can't force people to be in a good relationship with me, but I could do a lot to make sure they aren't in one, right? And so that God, God wants us to understand, here's the ways that the Holy Spirit would lead us as believers. And if you're taking notes, the first thing we'll look at tonight don't tell me I left it over there. I don't have my lovely, lovely assistant, but I do have myself. <laughs> I don't know where, where's my wife when I need her? I know I brought it up here. I thought I brought it up here. Oh, there it is. Okay. It's black, and I could not see it under. I stuck it under here. For those of you watching online, that was... Did we cut the commercial during that? Did we, uh, did we play a, you know, I don't know food commercial or something. Anyway, this is what I was looking for. It's dark. Couldn't see it under there. All right, so if you're taking notes, first thing we want to look at tonight, right out of the gate, verses 18 and 19, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, not be bitter towards them. Harmony, the first thing we'll look at in marriage. I think we'd all agree God would love for each person to have a harmonious marriage. Uh, I've I've been around long enough to know that's not always the case even with believers. Even though me and my wife's marriage is nearly perfect, we are like a thread away from perfect. I'm kidding. Um, we have our moments of disagreement, areas where we see the world just a little bit differently, see things a little bit differently. Um, it's interesting. Sometimes you don't expect when those things will pop up, right? For sure you'd be on the same page with me on that one. No, I see it kind of like that. But uh, there is a way to work through these things. and so. But it always starts where? In our hearts. Do we have a humble spirit? Harmony, love, and success in marriage begins with the knowledge. Again, if you look at a marriage, and if it's going to be a harmonious, loving, peaceful, fruitful marriage, it begins, for all of us here, with the knowledge, but not just the knowledge. A lot of people know stuff. The knowledge and the deep conviction. Do you see the difference? Knowing something, having deep... The knowledge and the deep conviction that God designed marriage. Okay? They already know that. Well, knowing and having a deep conviction that God designed marriage. I mean, think about it. If you really believe that God designed marriage, and you don't just know it, but you have a deep conviction that... As he designed it, and therefore he's given instructions to us that if he designed it and he's given instructions, his instruction will always work. Do you believe that? Now, I've had instructions on things that sometimes did not work. Could be a mistake from the manufacturer, could be a misprint, but God's design and his instructions for that design will always work. If, capital IF, all caps here, underlined, bold, if we follow them, if we follow them. Look at the plain and straightforward command given by Paul to married couples. We see that wives submit to your own husbands, and Lord, husbands, love your wives, not be bitter towards them. Pretty straightforward. Matter of fact, there's not even a lot of context from Paul here like, uh, can you give us more? That's just a, you know, hey, I'm writing this in, do this. Don't let today's culture... Now, Paul speaks very clearly here because he knows who the author is. It's not him. It's God by the Holy Spirit. Why does that matter? Don't let today's culture cloud the understanding of verses 18 and 19. Because today's culture didn't create marriage. Today's culture is trying to re redefine marriage. Today's culture is trying to phase out marriage. Today's culture is trying to make marriage obsolete, not that important. You don't mean to get married anyway. Get married seven times, five times, zero times, doesn't matter. Whoever you want to. There are different directives, but there's 
in equality and importance as it relates to responsibility and cohesion. So what I mean by that is even though we have two different directives here, there's an equality in the two statements. If you read both, they both have a specific instruction. Wives submit to your husband, to the Lord. Husbands love your wives. Do not be bitter towards them. But notice in both, there is the possibility implied, there's the possibility implied of disappointment, damage, discord. How do we know that? Well, Paul's saying, as to the Lord, because you probably could come up with a list of things why, well, he's not like the Lord. Right? So Paul has to say, as to the Lord, well, but you, you don't understand. This guy needs miles of work. Husbands, love your wives, do not be bitter towards them. This implies that there could be reasons for bitterness. This implies that you could become bitter. This implies that things could happen that cause you to say, I don't really want to talk to her right now. So there's an obligation. Paul says, notice there's no, uh, but if you don't feel like this, then you don't need to do it. There's no caveat. There's an obligation to both husbands and wives. Now, in the ancient, now, to this first verse, wives submit to your own husbands, in the ancient Jewish, Greek, and Roman cultures, all three of those ancient societies, and those three, all the power, all the privileges were with the husband. There was none with the wife, wife there was none with the children, and there certainly was none with slaves and bondservants. All of that was with the husband, the man of the house. But wives, Paul's not saying wives are to submit to sin. If a husband's asking a wife to do something against the scriptures, against the Lord, he's simply saying that there has to be a leadership headship. The buck has to stop somewhere. There has to be the leadership to say, hey, this is where I believe that God would have us go. This is where I believe that we're going to have to do things this way and in submission. We have reciprocal directives here. If you turn over to Ephesians chapter 5, go back to just take a left-hand turn, go over to Ephesians chapter 5. You know, we don't have a lot more context directly in these verses, although we do with the 2020 rule and the verses above. We'll come back to that in just a minute. But we also have Paul's letter to the Ephesians where he makes the same statement. Clearly the Holy Spirit's not confused on this. Uh, verse 22, chapter 5. And we were in Ephesians. And remember that uh, the marriage relationship is a picture of what? Christ and the church. So because it's a picture of Christ and the church, it has to reflect two harmonious aspects of that relationship. A church that's a clean bride that is walking under the leadership of Christ, but Christ models for all men what absolute devotion and love. It's never beating into submission. It's never browbeating. It's never uh, using the tongue or pride or arrogance or anything like that to bring the wife into a place of agreement. None of that thing, none of that will ever work. It actually stirs up uh, strife and bitterness on both sides. Verse 22, chapter 5, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Similar, similar wording as Colossians 3. For the husband is the head or the leadership within the wife, just as Christ is head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for. Now this submission, again, if it's not sin, you have to trust that God, again, when you have leadership, you get the good with, and the bad with that. <laughs> you, uh, if, if my wife says to me, uh, by the way, really good husbands listen to the counsel of their wives. When I, if you read the documentaries and the biographies of most great men of God, they almost all say, it's a, it's a, they almost all say that the greatest counselor in their life was their wife. 
They almost all say that many times they change their mind strictly because of their wife. It doesn't matter who you read. I don't know everyone, but there's a lot of biographies. If you read Saints of Old, you'll see this comes out again. D.L. Moody, Spurgeon, a lot of them will say the same thing. Billy Graham, that man, when I really couldn't figure it out, I asked my wife. And so God has put us together, but there's still going to be times where there's a decision to be made, and it doesn't matter in eternity what color the wall paint is. Doesn't really matter in eternity, you know. Did we did we get this set of plates or this set of plates? Or uh, there, I mean, there's bigger decisions too. But as a wife, you have to ride with the fact that God will take care of the dumb decisions, <laughs> and they'll get less and less dumb decisions over time because you know, if they're not catastrophic, right? They're not sin. They're just. You have to trust the Lord. That's why it says, as is fitting the Lord. If Jesus says, all right, do you trust that I have this? This is what it comes down to. Do you trust that these things are not going to destroy the family? In fact, what would destroy the family is starting an impasse fight, right? But to say, I'm going to yield. I don't really see it that way. You think we should do this with the schooling. I think we should do this with schooling. Now, eventually, let's say school year is about to start, you're going to have to make a decision. You can't say, well, the kids are just going to stay here for all, all year, right? And you've got to decide, are we, are we attending them to private school? Are we doing public school? Are we homeschooling? But somewhere down the line, there's not a verse that will tell you, thou shalt do exactly this. And say so the husband says, you know, I've prayed about it. Remember, this is written to believers. This isn't written to unsaved people. I've prayed about it, and here's where my heart's leading I couldn't disagree more, but, and you know, God will actually allow U-turns, by the way. And you have to trust it. My wife, over time, when she would, I know there was times in the past where she would say, that's a dumb decision. But she didn't say it. She was just thinking, go ahead. <laughs> Later on, I would say, you know what, that, I don't think that was the best move. But for the most part, as I follow the Lord, that doesn't happen a lot, but it does still happen. And most times we've collaborated anyway, and really talk things through. And I think that Paul is saying, hey, this is, you're going to have collaboration. You're going to pray together. You're going to have, because the rest of the book has already talked about how we should be as believers. We should be like a mini church in our house. And just like there's prayer in the church, there's worship in the church, we open the word, then those would be the decision criteria you have as spouses. But still, there will be some areas where you're still this far apart. Paul is saying, you're going to have to trust the Lord. It will be better, a not perfect decision done with the right submission attitude will do better than saying, I will fight you tooth and nail on this. Right? People end up in divorces over things like that. And so Paul says, that's not, God will, God will work on that individual. If the decision criteria isn't quite right, God will bring them around. Now, there's, and it, remember, there's an equality to these statements. Go back to Colossians 3. Husbands, you have this leadership role, but you still maybe wasn't, a, wasn't something that um, was a disagreement per se, but your wife disappointed you somewhere. Or maybe it, it's a long period of time where maybe it's a health issue, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, that you keep getting disappointed. He says, you can't become bitter over that. Jesus wouldn't be bitter towards his church, right? Right, men? Jesus is not. Has Jesus ever been bitter towards his church? No. So he's saying that there's an equality here that uh, husbands, you can't hold a grudge over something. Well, you were supposed to pick this up, and you know, this, you're supposed to get this, and you're supposed to do that. Bitterness. It can be bigger things than that, of course. But there's an equality here to say that in, in both cases, you're going to have to trust that to respond the way Christ is telling us to respond will be better for us than to say, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to pitch a battle on this. I'm going to stay bitter. I'm going to hold a grudge. It never, that never really works, right? People get ulcers. They get all kinds of issues. They are not happier lording over your mistakes. Well, you blew it in this, and I'm not going to let you forget about it. None of that's ever helpful. By the way, it doesn't help in marriage, but it doesn't help in any relationship. Try that with your neighbor. 
anything. It won't help in any relationship. So there's an equality here to say, hey, in the body of Christ, there has to be, there has to be an order. And God says, all right, come together as husband and wife. Man, I'm giving you a spiritual leadership. You get the good and the bad with that. Adam, where were you in the garden, right? You know, that kind of thing. You get the good and the bad. God comes first to Adam says, where's your wife? Where's your leadership? I don't know, I don't know where she's at. You know, right? So we have that responsibility. Good decisions, bad decisions. Wet wives are never called to commit to sin. Now additionally, and uh, only possible, this is only possible if both husband and wife are believers, uh, it probably really helps to view these verses as one singular command. As a singular command. Why would I say that? Uh, because marriage itself is the two becoming one. So it should help us to look at this as a singular command to husbands and wives, not just this is a wife's command, this is a husband's command, but they're two directives under a single command, if you will. Does anyone, does anyone else love these right here? You ever seen these cookies? You New Yorkers, I know you've seen these. They're, these are they're big in the bakeries in New York City, right? So the black and white cookies, um, they, they didn't originate in New York City, but they're very famous uh, in Manhattan. All the bakeries carry them with the bagels and everything else. And so uh, they, they, we, they, it's believed that they uh, originally were baked uh, in the Bavarian region of Germany. And so then they came over, and, and now they're just a staple in whether it's Italian bakeries, Jewish bakeries, all over. Um, but I love them because you get vanilla and you get chocolate, right? And if you don't like those two, I can't help you. So uh, you get both of them in the same cookie. And it's perfect harmony. Now, the milk is not really part of the cookie. The milk is like you get kids, too. It's just that God takes the, the two and you get everything there, but then on top of it, milk is a force multiplier. It makes it even better. And kids should be something that adds to your marriage, not makes it worse. But God says to be fruitful and multiply. So these things, I just, I throw milk up there as something along those lines. But it's, it's one cookie, but it's two frostings, right? And there's even an order, just God, as God has an order in the family, there's an order to how you make these. You can actually... I think Food Network did one time at one of the bakeries, and they showed how you have to, to apply it to get that straight line and everything. There's an order in how it's done, which icing is applied first, all of that. Uh, there's a common base. The base is the same. Both ice, icing share the same base. And, and in a marriage, we share the same base of the Holy Spirit, right? You have the same base, but we actually have two parts coming together. Bring, we're different in so many ways, men and women, but really together you get a classic masterpiece, right? That puts a smile on your face when you take a bite. doesn't matter if it's the vanilla side or the chocolate side or together. And if a marriage follows the ingredients prescribed by God, because God gives us almost like a cookbook. There's the ingredients of here. He says, this will work. I'm not sure if that'll work. Uh, I read Cosmo said that that won't work. God says, I was around long before Cosmo. I was around long before that blog. I was around before the Supreme Court decided this, that, or the other. All of these things, God says, these are the, th these are the ingredients that will work. You follow this, it'll work. And this certainly includes what's found in verses 18 and 19. Now, when you look at verses 18 and 19, the reason why we have church at least once a week all over planet Earth, and God at the outset Sabbath day, everybody, holy convocation. It wasn't just a day you didn't work, but a holy convocation, word of God teaching, is even though you might know a specific truth, there still has to be discipleship on it, right? Well, I already told my kids John 3.16, we're done. No, it takes a lifetime of teaching John 3.16 to them because under John 3.16 is all the other doctrine of the scriptures. That makes sense? So under marriage, you might know this makes sense, but there's still a discipleship within these verses to say, well, how do I practically have a submissive spirit? How do I practically love and not show bitterness? How and we're talking about some of those things right now. But from an understanding of what promotes harmony and unity, these words to husbands and wives are best understood in the larger context 
of Paul speaking to relationship. Back in verses 12 through 14, look at verses 12 through 14 in chapter 3. Just go up a few verses. Re let's reread these because this underscores the context of the marriage. Therefore, as the elect of God, we know he's speaking to believers, right? Is there any doubt here he's speaking to? He doesn't say, therefore, the whole world. No. Therefore, the elect of God. This is not a Calvinist teaching now either, by the way. Uh, this is an understanding of those who have been brought in by saving faith. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy, beloved, put on tender mercy. Now think about all this in a marriage. Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, which you are called into one body and be thankful. Now, he's written that to the body, the larger body of Christ. We talked about that within our inner relationships within other believers. But you can take the same verses and it still is directly pinpointing the heart and mindset between verses 18 and 19 within the marriage relationship. Because all these things, if applied to a marriage, tender mercies, kindness, forgiving, putting on love, you, then the peace of God rules in your home, in your hearts, and in your marriage. And so then verses 18 and 19 make a whole lot more sense, don't they? Because they started out with this relationship built on love. There's not part of God's design that can be ignored. You can, well, we're going to take all the ingredients except let's just cross this one out. Uh, you can do that with food. There are certain things my wife makes that I say, hey, She's reading, do you like this? You want cranberries in it? The recipe? No, no, leave the cranberries out. For me, that ruins a meal. I, sorry if you like cranberries. Cranberries are fine in a scone, but there's nothing else I've ever had that they make sense in to me. Now, if you made a salad here, I am not trying to offend you if you had cranberries in it. I pick through them. Don't worry. I, I can still navigate. But you can remove some things from a recipe, but you can't remove it if God put it in. Does that make sense? If God put it in, you can't say, well, I just don't have an affinity for this. No, it has to stay. Everything that God says must stay. Everything, um, every ingredient, every command is essential. So many people resist the design of God, and then they wonder why there's chaos. And then they wonder why there's failure. You'll run into people that you meet that are unsaved, and you can tell them, hey, I used to have the same issues until I surrendered that to the Lord until I gave that over to God. How many of you think trains run better on tracks than, let's say, in the ocean? Imagine a locomotive engine engineer. You've got you know, trains going through Richmond all the time. We've got tracks right over the James River. Uh, imagine a locomotive engineer saying, tracks are too restrictive. You don't want to be on the Amtrak with an engineer who decides that tracks are too restrictive. Do you? I just don't. These tracks, they so get on my nerves that you can only go in one direction. I think I want to take this off on the highway. No, trains weren't designed to fly. They weren't designed to float. They weren't designed to drive on highways. They can veer over into a highway, but when they do, it's a really bad thing, Right? for both the highway and the people on the train. Only on the tracks do they ride correctly, right? Only on the tracks. And that's the way God says, this is marriage, this is home life, this is family life, this is relationship. They will only work on the tracks. You can try them off the tracks all you want. People have tried for 6,000 years. It's disaster after disaster, after societal disaster, after societal disaster, after individual family also, when you think about uh, trains, there has to be a locomotive, right? There's an order to this whole thing. There has to be a power source. There has to be a locomotive, a lead car, a power source. Uh, today's trains are actually push-pulled. You can actually have a locomotive on the front, locomotive on the back. 
either one can lead the train. But, uh, and that's even true sometimes in America. Sometimes, husbands, your best role is to kind of get in the rear and kind of see how things are going. Sometimes it's to get in the front and lead. In either case, you kind of know what's going on with the marriage and the family that God has given. But there's not a superiority system. Locomotives are not superior to what's in the boxcars. Matter of fact, what's in the boxcars can be worth billions or millions. Not a superiority. They're all part of the same system, right? It all works together. Has to stay on the tracks. The rail system is not restrictive. It is safe and efficient that way. And it's the same way with marriage. The infrastructure of marriage, the infrastructure of a rail system are the, are the tracks, but the infrastructure of a marriage is obedience. And then the human heart, it's kind of like the, the, even on a train, it's all infrastructure, but there is real human, there's a human engineer on there. There has to be a heartbeat within a marriage too. It's not just a bunch of do's and don'ts. But society, and believers as well, it's not just in society, society and believers as well, if ignoring God's design and command within marriage, uh, they can expect about as much success in marriage as a railway system without tracks if we ignore God's plan, if we ignore his ingredients. As, as a train without an engineer, I don't really want to be on a train without an engineer. I want one engineer on the train. No locomotives, it doesn't go anywhere. Then it just sits, not going anywhere. It's a marriage that's going to sit still, not going to move. It's going nowhere, uh, nowhere fast. I put this little uh, graph together, and it's just a way of thinking about um, the fact that the interdependencies within uh, the marriage relationship, uh, there has to be an order, right? That comes from God. We didn't design it. Eve didn't say, hey, I'd like to be made from Adam's rib, please. She wasn't in existence. God says, here's how it's going to happen. Adam on create, and Eve from the rib, close by side. It's meant to be that, um, that there would be a closeness, that my wife would be at my side. We're not, you know, in heaven, there's not going to be even marriage in heaven. There's no, it's, it's not going to be any of the things. Jesus said, you know, there's not going to be people given in marriage. But on this earth, there's an order for God's plans and purposes. It's all gospel-related. It's all to bring people into the family of God. The order has to be there, but you have to accept the order. Say, I accept the order of God. In my, in my family, the more me and my wife have accepted God's order, the more it's blessed our marriage, the more fulfilled we are, the more at peace we are, the more at joy we are, the more we've accepted God's plan. And that calls for me to step up, and it calls for her to say, I'm yielding to uh, leadership. Now, you also have, submission is a spirit. We're also to submit one to another. Again, like I said from the outset, a really good marriage for the most part, because if husbands also have a submissive spirit, you also will listen to counsel, and you're very, very open to saying, I hadn't thought of it that way. That's a better idea than mine. A submissive spirit is also a humble spirit, right? So even though wives have this verse here, the Scriptures also tell the whole body of Christ submitting ourselves one to another. This is male, female. And so if there's a spiritual truth that I haven't considered, I can submit to the spiritual truth that I didn't think of. My wife say, hey, I found this verse in Psalms. And it says... Well, you know, I already made my decision. I don't care what Psalm says. How does that sound to God? I already made my decision. I don't care what Psalm says. God said, hello, I wrote Psalms, right? So the submissive spirit actually works both ways. It's not just, it's not just wise. Husbands and wives both have uh, that humility. Attitude. Attitude matters because you don't want to do just the right thing. You want to do it with the right attitude. Fine. I'll submit, but I can't stand you. <laughs> That's not going to go far, right? Right? Fine, we have a locomotive, but let's just unhook the whole rest of the boxcars. So it also has to have the right attitude. And then the last, in the, in the dead center, 
there has to be love. It's an agape love. It's a self-sacrificing love. There has to be. And each of these are interdependent on each other. You take off any one of them, and the whole thing breaks down. There has to be each of these pieces and parts within the marriage. Moving on, because we, we do have a clock to watch here. Uh, verse 20, moving on from, uh, with marriage comes children. God's original intent, be fruitful, multiply, that, that uh, you know, the family of God would grow through marriage relationships. And, of course, before sin, that would have been the only way it would have grown. And after sin, we actually have born-again spiritual new births. But prior to that, it was just God said, look, I'm gonna, Adam and Eve, you're going to have kids, and I want you to model to them what they should become. And this is still obviously the case. Nothing, none of that changed. That's still God's heart and desire. But with the added work of Jesus Christ, we're to impart to them what they need to inherit eternal life. And so he goes on in verse 20, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And it's Paul's impl implying here and, and hope that your children want to have a relationship with the Lord. The kids say, oh, care about that. I don't, I don't want to have a walk with God. And then, then they won't care about what's pleasing to the Lord, right? But the implied here is that you've raised them, that you have imparted to them a desire to follow the Lord. And so they need to understand that the blessing of God will flow as they also understand their order within the train tracks, their order within the system that God says, this is, this is the only way that it will work. As is pleasing the Lord, verse 21, parents come back into the scene here. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And sometimes Paul will do this, sometimes the apostles. It, it, even though it says fathers here, this is really inclusive of parents. Because it says right in verse 20, obey your parents. But this is not, um, once again, we have this God-given order. And authority and leadership in the God-given order are assigned to parents. Children are not called to lead the home. I've seen some houses where I'm pretty sure the kids lead the home. You ever seen this? I've seen it out and about. I've seen it, in, you know, uh, one of, you guys know my good friend and mentor, one of my mentors, Sam Nadler, will be here October 21st. He'll be sharing with us. And I'll never forget, Sam told me... Um, now, Sam is pretty direct, and he's a New Yorker on top of that, right? So um, he was at a, he was, I'll never forget, he told me he's at, um, he was counseling some couple at their house, and the kids were just, it just sounded like Armageddon in the background. And finally, Sam said, I'm just going to, who's in charge here, you guys or the children? <laughs> so just, just, just put it out there to them. Because we're not going to get anywhere if we can't settle things down. I can't hear you, you can't hear me, and you don't seem to know. And he didn't say all that, but he just said, who's in charge? You're a junior. And God has not called children to lead the home. They're called to learn, to obey, and to apply. And that's just like us with God, right? We're not called to lead God. We're called to learn, obey, and apply what God gives us. Charles Spurgeon, he said, train up a child in the ways you go, but be sure you, uh, or be sure you go that way yourself. One thing to train them up, but be sure you're also, because they're watching, right? They're watching the actions that speak louder than words. Chuck Swindoll said this. He said, uh, a family is a place where principles are hammered and honed on the anvil of everyday living. One of the good things about everyday living is everyday living, kids aren't dumb. Uh, everyday living in this room, in your everyday living, you will make mistakes. You will get it wrong. You will, every now and then, discourage your kids. You will, every now and then, say something you'll regret. You will, every now and then, wish you'd have done this and that, but the, th the thing about everyday living is you have a lot 
of room to work with and the real work of Christ in you shows up over time, right? And your kids will know which is which. And they'll even, as they get older, they'll even compare you to other adults they meet. They'll say, you know, I was over here and they don't seem to even care, you know? They'll notice the anvil of time makes it, you know, we all hit the hammer wrong every now and then. But over time, you'll see that most of the marks are in the same spot. And they'll notice over time that those things do really reflect where we're really at, how we're really leading. Children are by God's design to follow and obey, but parents know that uh, they're not just watching what we say, but how we actually live day in and day out. Not just when we're at church. Oh, you praise God there, but you don't do that at house. They know. Our Christian walk has to be sincere and genuine as we lead and instruct. And by the way, this verse clarifies that moms, like dads, are leaders. Children obey your parents, plural, right? So it, the implication that moms are leaders, dads are leaders, parents is a plural term. And even though sometimes dads can be inclusive here, uh, I think Paul is speaking directly to fathers, but it also can speak to both parents. He is speaking to the fathers here, but it certainly uh, makes sense to kind of look at both. Sometimes, when you think about parents, sometimes dad's the only one giving instructions in leading, and sometimes mom's doing leading. You know, I used to travel a lot. My wife probably did most of the leading you know, four days out of the week. When I used to try, I used to fly out on a Monday and come back on a Thursday. That's a long time back. But most of that, my wife would be leading all during that time. Now, we're leading in a unity because we, we've agreed these are the ways that, that we're going to instruct. But there's plenty of times that one parent is not there. So there's this kind of different times where your kids will see mom as a leader, dad as a leader, but they should see unity in that role. For you single parents, and I'm sure we've got, we've got a, a number of single parents, and we know that uh, that's a, a big job and a big challenge. You occupy, in a spiritual sense, both the role of mom and dad, right? In a single parent, you, you occupy both. And God has the grace and the ability to give you what you need in both those roles. Without God, we couldn't do it. wouldn't be possible. But with God, all things are possible, and we know that he can give that that is needed. For children, their responsibilities should grow with their age and maturity, right? You don't give the same responsibility to a 2-year-old that you give to a 7-year-old that you give to a 17-year-old. But their responsibility should grow with age and maturity. But as long as they're still children, this is clear through Scripture, as long as they're still children, whether it's adolescents, whether it's young adults living in the home, they have a command to obey. There's still, even as, even as young adults living in the house, a command to obey. And why? Well, there's an umbrella of protection over their lives. There's a promise from the Lord that I believe we as adults are well to continue to remember. Wouldn't you guys think that the command to children, I, I still have parents that are both living, and I still want to honor them. I'm not obedient to their everything anymore. I've moved out and I have my own adult life, but I still want to honor them. Ephesians chapter 6, we don't have to turn back there, but chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, Paul moves to children in that epistle as well. Children, obey your parents for the Lord, this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. The obedience is when you're young, the honoring is after you move out on your own. Although the honoring would cover the whole span and the obedience would cover the under-the-roof span. Make sense? Under the roof, obedience, honor is the whole, honors from zero to 100. Or if you, it would be 105 or something like that. But anywhere in there is honor, and obedience is under the home. What are we to take from this admonishment to fathers? And again, I think Paul is speaking to fathers specifically, but it, it certainly can be inclusive of parents together. The mindset here is not provoking children to a place of unhealthy actions, feelings, or decisions. That we would be responsible for their unhealthy actions, feelings, or decisions because we've, instead of pointing them in the right direction, 
our behavior, our words, our action or interaction has actually damaged as opposed to built them up in the faith. Now, again, there's forgiveness. Everyone makes mistakes. I mean, that's why Paul said, same chapter, forgiving one another. That would include kids forgiving parents, parents forgiving kids, wives forgiving husbands, husbands forgiving wives. That, that's going to happen. But we don't live to make mistakes. We live to avoid them by following the word of God. How could a father or a mother provoke a child to discouragement or unhealthy actions? What if the father or parent just isn't leading? What's that going to do? Young people need direction. We have a whole nation of non-directed young people. Much of what's directing them is their phones, their Playstations, their friends, their Snapchats. But parents directing them is less and less and less, sadly in our society, less and less all the time. It's when that lack of leadership leads kids unsettled, lack of security. We, we see more and more mental health issues with young people than any time in our nation's history. What if a father ignores his own children? I'm speaking to dads here specifically using Paul's language. Well, the child then thinks, I don't matter. I just don't matter. Can be extreme abandonment where a father just says, I'm not responsible. You know, we have dads that won't even pay child support, much less be in their kids' lives. And, you know, they have to be tracked down and garnished wages and all that other nonsense. And then you have other dads that, yeah, they're, they're, they're essentially in the home, but they're not really home. Right? They're there, but they're, you know, their kids, you know, they could walk by them a hundred times and it wouldn't even, they wouldn't even notice. So they're not present. My dad ignores me. That will discourage, that I, that'll cause a child to think, I, I just don't matter. What if a parent or a father or parent never listens and never asks any questions? Ask any questions. Jesus asked a lot of questions of people, didn't he? That's how you knew he was engaged. Well, then they'll think, I'm a waste of time. I'm just a waste of their time. The reason why they don't engage with me is I'm just a waste of their time. So if I'm a waste of their time, I'll spend my time elsewhere. And by the way, the world, if you won't and I won't raise our kids, Satan will raise them for us. Won't he? He's more than happy to raise everyone's kids. What if there are no rules? Or, or let's, let me say this. What if there are nothing but rules and no love? Nothing but rules and no love. Well, then there's resentment, there's bitterness, there's a rejection of the gospel oftentimes when there's a bunch of rules and no love. What if parent is done in anger? You end up usually having kids that act the same way. Parenting is done in anger, or they just go into a shell. There can be anxiety, depression, outburst, suicidal things. All of this if, if a parenting style is nothing but anger. What if there's lots of fun and acceptance, but no rules, no guidelines, no discipline? I had some high school friends that had parents like this. We thought they were the most awesome houses of all. We partied there. We did everything we wanted to there. And look at their kids today, right? No rules. Anything goes. But as a matter of fact, you might have found, and I did find, every now and then you find kids that say, I wish my parents set some limits on us. At least your parents care what you're at at 3 in the morning, right? In time, they'll be discouraged. They might have been discouraged at that time, but later in life, they'll be really discouraged, right? When they realize that life has rules. Life has boundaries. Life doesn't treat you, though. hey, do anything you want. They can't hold a job. They can't do certain things because they were, they'll become discouraged later if not during the time. But our calling as parents is to disciple and direct our kids into what? Into a walk with Christ. Not just that they be good citizens or uh, well-adjusted adults, but that we direct them into a walk with Christ. Ultimately, it's their decision to walk with Christ. We know that, right? Don't feel guilty or you know, beaten up or 
uh, shamed by the enemy if say, you know, I, we still have a prodigal out there. You can do everything right. You know, within no one does everything right, but you can do you can do it godly, the best that you could to follow the Lord, and still have a child that says, "I don't want this." Ultimately, will be their decision. But our actions, our inaction, our love or lack thereof, our example or lack of example, our encouragement or lack of encouragement, will greatly contribute, won't it? Greatly contribute to whether they're either built up in the Lord or discouraged with the Lord. Greatly contribute. That, that, that our kids would see the actual the love of God, but also the restraint that we can explain to our kids why railroad tracks are a good thing. That we can tell them, no, you don't want rules. Do you want to ride on Amtrak and know for a fact that the engineer hates tracks? That his intention is to get off them as soon as he gets to about 98 miles an hour. Well, no, 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 I don't want that. Well, that's Again, I have, to, I have to talk like this to my own kids. I have to explain to them the enemy is very crafty, right? So you can discourage them by not being involved or you can discourage them by you know, being angry or you know, oppressive, all of these things. It will greatly contribute to either building up with the Lord or discouraging them, even to the point they'll boast discouragement if they were discouraged with the gospel. I don't want it. You're, you're so hypocritical, your faith, you yell, but then you say you this verse, you yell at us, but then you read this verse. I've seen this. It's really, it breaks my heart when I see parents that, you know, they might say the right stuff at other times, but I say, but yeah, but your, your anger or your attitude is telling them something completely different. They might not tell you now, but later they're, they're not going to be listening. It's a big responsibility that we've been given, isn't it, parents? It's a big responsibility, but the Holy Spirit will help us. He'll help us. He'll forgive us. He'll help us. He'll move us forward. And in closing here, everywhere else, these other relationships that are mentioned here, I don't have time to read them because we're coming to a close here, but uh, bond servants, whatever you, uh, not, with, uh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but sincerity of heart and fearing of God. That, if you, if you were to circle this last part here, it really comes down to, in verse 22, sincerity of heart. This is really where all of our relationship, if we love the Lord, we're not perfect, but we really are striving to, to know Jesus more, to please the Lord. Remember the end of Ecclesiastes 12? And this is the conclusion of the matter, Solomon said. Right? The preacher said, this is the conclusion of the matter, to love God and keep his commandments, or fear God and keep his commandments, Right? That was the conclusion, to fear God and keep his commandments. If we believe that God's ingredients will work, that's part of fearing him because we say his ingredients will work. I'm not going to remove any ingredient. Even if it's cranberries, I'm leaving them in there, right? Not removing anything. Then we have this applying it. We believe in it. We fear it. We have the awe and respect of it. Then we apply it. And if you look at all other relationships, if we as parents demonstrate this in our marriage and in our kids. Then when we step outside the house, any other relationships that we go into in verse 23, and whatever you do, do it hardly as Lord and not to men. doesn't matter if you're talking to a cashier. doesn't matter if you're dealing with a real estate agent. doesn't matter if you're dealing with someone you're buying a car from. doesn't matter if it's a coworker at work, your next-door neighbor. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. When you serve people... You're doing it unto serving Christ. Amen? We, we reach out, as Jesus showed the Good Samaritan, you see all people as a means to glorify God by having the right heart, sincerity of heart, fearing God. And so God says, so love your neighbor as yourself. Well, people have no problem loving themselves, Right? Make sure that we get the best stuff, the best vacation, the clothes that we like, but, hey, you don't really matter. No, God says, no, love them as yourself. Now, I also want to say, verse 22, bondservants obey your masters. This is not an endorsement of slavery or even an endorsement of bonded servitude, but it was common in 
that time. Very common. It was all over the Roman world, common in the Jewish world as well for pain of debts to bond yourself. Even in the Old Testament, you'll see it. it but it's an acknowledgment by Paul that these institutions, they were prevalent. Some of them are still around today, sadly, especially in ancient times they're prevalent. And a person coming to Christ, what Paul is saying, if you came to Christ, whether you were a slave, whether you were a servant, or even the master of uh, slaves or servants, verse 4, you would have a new heart response as you came into the family of God. You wouldn't act the way you once did. Make sense? So if you were used to kind of cutting corners, you wouldn't cut corners anymore. If you said, someday we're all going to rise up and murder the master, you wouldn't think that way anymore. You would say, they're a soul that, that needs Christ. If you were a master, you wouldn't look at them as property anymore. You'd look at them as souls that need to be cared for. So Paul's saying, hey, you can come into the relationship with Christ, but once you do, your relationship with people changes. You're not allowed to ride down the highway when someone cuts you off in traffic, give them a one-fingered salute anymore. You simply pray for them. Say, they need the Lord. Right? We lived in South Florida. That was a lot down there. We saw that a lot. Yeah. Uh, but whether as an employer, an employee, citizen, a neighbor, uh, any place in life, believers have a new responsibility to reflect the character of Christ. And Paul reminds us, someday, knowing that you receive a reward, but he who has done wrong will be repaid, we're going to give an account for how we related to people, how we spoke to people. I try to remember that. I don't always get it right, but I try to remember it. Whoever I'm talking to, ordering to the fast food, be as friendly as I can possibly be. You never know when you'll get an opportunity to present the Lord to them or invite them to church or whatever it may be. Coming to, last thing here, I'm putting this slide back up because even though it was for marriage, it really applies everywhere else. When you think about order and loving people, if I walk into a stadium, I know that if I walk into a stadium, I am not in charge. Right? There's usually security there. Uh, I am not allowed to go anywhere I please if I walk into... Hey, if I walk into Publix, I know, hey, you know what? I'm just going to go back and hang out in the manager's office. Why? Because it's my right as an American. I can go anywhere I want, do anything I want. No, we people, even unsaved people, understand there's an order to things, and they're okay with that. But when God says an order to things, they bristle. Isn't that Interesting. Everyone said, yeah, no problem saying, oh, when I go to the theater, I'm going to have to pay at this window and do that. There's an order to things. People are okay with that. God says, hey, here's my order. I don't want to hear it. The rebellious heart of man, there has to be an order that we accept. Now, when we get saved, it's not just that we walk into a stadium and understand the order. Unsaved people figure that out. They know that they're not allowed to just go play on the field in the middle of a game, right? They know that they're not allowed to kind of uh, tell, uh, say funny things to security to get them arrested. On a plane, you're not supposed to say some things on the plane. Do you know that? Right? You can't just say anything you want in life. There's an order to things. And uns the unsaved world understands that. But as a believer, we don't just walk onto the airplane or into the stadium, into the grocery store, accepting the order. We already accept that under the, Paul said, to be obedient to even the institutions that are in this world. We, we go beyond that. Now we're there to represent Christ to a lost and dying world in those. So we're accepting the order and we get opportunities to actually say, it doesn't matter if it's the security guard or the person stocking the shelves or any other, or maybe your boss. We're not there just to accept the order of things, but actually to bring God's order of things into the equation. And that's what he's saying. And even if things go wrong for you, say, well, I was really nice to this person and nothing good came of it. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward for you serve the Lord Christ. You might give a lot of cups of water and, and not even give a thank, get a thank you. And metaphorically, I'm speaking. You might give out a lot in life and no one ever thank you for it. More and more, me and my wife, we talk about this um, we more and more have come to the place that our only responsibility is to love people as much as we can, and whether they like it, appreciate it, anything else, that's up to God. 
that's the way you're supposed to serve your family, too. Whether they like it, appreciate it, say, you know, say, well, I've wanted to, like, write this kid off the list for a while. You know, that you can't do that, right? Right? It's the same way with the rest of the world. God says, love your neighbors as your own family, as yourself, and all of these same things still apply. Still have to have the right heart attitude about it. Still have to be submissive to authority. Still have to understand. But the center of it all has to be the love of Christ. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again tonight for the sure foundation of your word. We know that your ingredients, your directions, your directives will always work. Lord, help us to not only know, but have a deep conviction to walk these things out. And Lord, may it be with, the, with a sincerity of heart and the fear of the Lord, but also just the love of Jesus flowing from our lives. And Lord, may it radically transform and, and improve our marriages, our relationship with our children, and our relationships with a lost and dying world that doesn't not yet know you as Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. Thank you for this time and each person that came out. In your name we pray. Amen.